Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Hey Sister. Hey, sister, how you doing? You got a chuckle and a laugh for us today. Oh, Mr. Robert, Mr. Robert. Um, apparently, that was his first time hearing our theme music, AI. And so he's talking about y'all trying to cross over. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Oh, Hello, we got Shereen Smith tuning in. Hola, sister. Hola, hola. We got Cam tuning in. Hey, Cam, how you doing? We're so excited about tonight's episode. So wherever you are, we will we want you to first like, follow, share, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to Hey Sister on all your social media platforms as well as uh, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. We also want you to get involved in the comments tonight because that's where the action happens. It goes down in the comments, and we want you to be involved in the comments tonight. Um, we have, oh, someone else tuning in. Hey, Miss Kizzy, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. So we're excited um, this evening. Our show is going to be a little different this evening. Y'all know typically we start off with high topics, but because our guest is who he is, we're going to talk about all the topics. <laughs> we're going to have a wide ranging conversation um, and get his perspective. And so we would like to welcome the Black Aristocat, as he's known <laughs> on the interwebs, um, Mr. Kamara Williams. How you doing? Hey. How you doing? Am I coming through clearly? You are good? through loud and clear. And right. um, as you know, he is a an attorney here in the Orlando area. He's also a husband. Um, he's very engaged in politics. He's a father of two young daughters. So he has a lot of interesting things that make up who he is. But tell us a little bit more in your own words who you are and why you're the Black Aristocat. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, Williams, and I mean, you've done a splendid job already. I'm, like I said, I, I practice in Central Florida. I, uh, I have my own practice, uh, Smith and Williams Trial Group, of my partner, Divine Smith. Um, we do cover multitude of different areas, but my primary area is probate and state planning. And um, probate litigation is, of course, when someone passes away and your estate has to go through the court system. It's just a fancy way to say court for death. That's but it's probate. Um, and state planning, obviously, is, a, is planning out your assets and things of that nature. Of course, we handle all sorts of civil litigation, and but it, you know, and I have a number of different cases that handle that as well as employment um, law. Um, so one caveat I will tell people, when you're trying to contact an employment attorney uh, such as myself, or you're thinking about protecting your, your interests, always, always, always write down or journal your thoughts um, for your job and blind carbon copy yourself in your personal email address. Because when they kick you out of a system, you won't have access to those things. So. Just a little thing, little tips I would tell you for an employment issue. I know that's not what you asked me. Um, I also have a podcast and a running blog. Uh, my blog is kamarawilliams.com, and uh, you can find my podcast under my podcast is also on uh, Spotify and Apple. And the podcast is called Uncultured Biased. Um, so, um, if you ask me why my why is my name 
the black aristocrat. Let's see, I have this whole elongated statement about why that is. The best way I could say it is that if you look at um, the term aristocrat, it's someone like it's deemed a blue blood and a member of like the social societal aristocracy, um, aristocracy and the social class that according to Western civilization is considered the top of the heap. Well, and then obviously somebody with a high social yield and somebody who um, considers themselves just elite. Um, oftentimes it's relatable as far as, as far as black culture is concerned. Um, for me, I look at it like an aristocrat is somebody that's a little bit different. It's somebody that can operate in two different worlds, both in high society as well as they'll keep their, um, you know, their cultural sense. And I feel like that's the dichotomy of the black person. The black person, we, especially a professional black person, we can operate in two different worlds. We have to have one foot in our community and one and one foot in the, you know, aristocracy of, you know, conventional America. And so that is kind of why I said I'm the black aristocrat because we're all, you know, literally everybody on this is, is an aristocrat. I just, you know, said, just it created that moniker. But anybody who's operated in two different worlds is a black aristocrat. And my podcast is called Uncultured Bias. And that's really just a, a play on the words because um, oftentimes when you think about culture and look through the prism of that, it's, um, un, they look at it as anti-black. And unless they they give us the you know thumbs up like oh, okay this is fine now it's cool but and if it's not given the thumbs up culturally then it's not considered classy and so you know what I wanted to do is kind of flip that and look at look at culture through the consumption the prism of black people and kind of play on it like you know it it's the coming from the other side of it and yeah it hasn't been given a stamp of approval but it's still uncultured and still biased and it's still black and so I hope that explains it. Yeah, I, I think that I think that does explain it very well. And um and so you, you talked a lot about in there really um <laughs> splitting difference for lack of a better term, you know, how how we have to kind of have both feet in both worlds, how um when we are not um deemed proper or appropriate, right? Uncultured, uncivilized, all of those things, but we're none of those things at the same time. Like, cause all that we are is great magic. Like, I don't know, I, I, that that's my take on it. I don't know, sister, if you had another way of your view on that or explaining that, but that, you know, um, yeah, we. It's kind of thumbing his nose at what, you know, although exactly. I like, stop, yeah. stop putting us in them boxes and those labels. Like, uh-uh, none of that even matters. It don't even fit, right? Right. You know, and it's that's kind of where it's at. Like, I just I, I thought of the idea for the name of the pod because I was like, unless somebody gives us the thumbs up, it's not considered mainstream or anything like that. And so I was like, all right, so, you know, anything that's black, unless it's, you know, given the cosign, it's not considered above board. And so mm -hmm. like, all right, you know, so my statements are not deemed to be conventional. They're not deemed to be because I haven't. They're not green lighted by the. Just call it white supremacy. <laughs> so I always try to look at it from a different perspective. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't want to take a time on that. Yeah, if you guys want more information, go to kamarawilliams.com and check it out. That's why I have an active blog and all that. 
website. Yeah, well, we put we put the blog up there so you all can uh, the, the the website so you can go, you can take a look, and, and you can get into that. So we're gonna we like I said tonight we're gonna be a little different. We're gonna go. We're gonna hit a lot of different topics. We're gonna go kind of around the world in the day with some of these topics, and we're gonna be a little bit all over the place. I know a lot of things you talk about in your blog and on some of just even your social media posts it's related to pop culture so we're going to hit on some pop culture things we're also going to hit on some social justice issues because you you address a lot of those issues as well and so we're just going to hit on a lot of things but we're going to start off with uh one this is all in i don't know if this pop culture what culture whatever i don't know did any of y'all go to the funeral? I didn't go to the funeral this weekend. I, I I didn't I didn't I just saw one image of Queen Elizabeth alone sitting in a pew alone. Um, and I guess because they had strict social distancing practices. And I don't for me that just struck me to see uh you know a widow having been married 73 years. But knowing what her position is and knowing how she has always has to hold things up, even though she might not be held up inside, it was just very stark to just see a 94-year-old woman who just lost her husband of 73 years to be sitting alone. That's one thing that just struck me. I don't know. Did either of you go to the fume and any takes on Prince Philip and how he, you know, he really planned out. You, you're in estate planning. He planned out how he wanted his services to go. You know, he wanted to be in a Range Rover, but he didn't want the carriage, right? So either of you want to chime in on your take on Prince Philip's home, final home going. I didn't see. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I yes, I did not go to the fune. I saw some of the various uh, talking heads discussing it over um, the weekend and on Friday. Um, and, you know, they, of course, they were talking about the fashion and different things that were going to come of it. Um, I, I think the point that you made, I did not see that picture of Queen Elizabeth, but I think that's the major point, right? When uh, when you spent more time in, with someone in your life than you have without them, um, how does that how does that play out, you know, for you? And uh, and as someone who, again, society forces to always have a certain look in a certain face and talk about, you know, being quote unquote proper. Um, that's a, a, a challenge place to be in when you just can't simply express grief again as 94 years old and you've been with somebody for 73 years. So, um, but no, I did not attend the film. Sorry. All right. What about you? No, I didn't. But, you know, I would say this about the royal family. They are from a bygone era of imperialism that most people now, when you look at things um, through the prism of just 2021, uh, you know, their appeal, I wonder, is, is it still effective? And especially, yeah, I know Meghan Markle is um, no longer part of the royal family, but um, that was for, um, at least for Black Americans, I think a majority of them, was their interest in that family. And when she's no longer a part of that, I think the interest of them seeing somebody who's actually was not well regarded uh, through black British circles, right? Um, you, t you look at the way that their commentary 
especially when he died. And it wasn't exactly, you know, singing hosannas about how great of a human being he was. Now I know the PR statements had him as, you know, this and that and a third and served in World War II and, you know, and very honorable status. But, you know, when you talk to people or you hear, listen to people um, who reside in that particular area or United Kingdom and, and they were black, they, they're not sitting there talking as beautifully as one would think. In fact, they spoke more about uh, a DMX passing, an American artist um, spoke more fondly about that than um, Prince uh, Philip um, passing away, which, you know, I think that speaks to something, right? Yeah, I definitely think it does speak to something. We got some folks say, I saw a very small clip. That's it. No, I had Aaron Saran, didn't make it to the fume. Oh, again, I forgot he passed. So that is uh, some, some of the comments there. I am um, not laughing at the fact that he passed. I am just laughing at the comments. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, again, he lived he lived a long storied life, as they say, and there's a whole lot of history related to to him, his family, being in exile, you know, a monarchy in exile. He was 99. So when you speak of a bygone era, I mean, really, that that is a, a nearly a century ago that he um, came on this earth. So it's definitely a bygone era. So another um you know, passing here in the hip hop world over the weekend, um, Black Rob uh, passed away as well. Um, I know you wrote in detail about the, the passing of DMX. And so one of the connections here, Black Rob had just posted, he was also in his own very ill um, state when he was made a, one of his last public posts um, commenting on the transition of DMX. What did you think about when you heard this news? You know, I would say for um, for Black Rob, it, his story is a little bit interesting, um, and that I think it's a it's a great example of Black people what happens when they're not given the proper um, time when or resources when you know they're in and out of the system. So let me just give you. A brief explanation of that. It's easy to look at like Black Rob's uh, musical situation and you know say that all right, he was somebody that was a former artist for Bad Boy and you know and he died on on the bed with no money and whatnot. But in reality, uh, the when you look peel back behind that is Black Rob was somebody that was in and out of um, the system um, for a lot of large part of his life. I mean, majority of his life, he he even has stated that he's been more in car he's been incarcerated more times in his life than been out. And so um, when in fact he did have that big music moment when he was a, had a hit single, um, he really, and he tells this, he said, I didn't really have the understanding of how to deal with that because I had been so indoctrinated and incarcerated that then I had a hit single. And it was like, I had, I went from not having any resources and nobody ever um, not, but nobody ever helping me to like, Oh, one complete 180, having access to everything and anything. And he said, I wasn't really ready for that, especially when I had just gotten out of being incarcerated. And so I look at something like that and I think about rehabilitation and in, in our mass incarceration and especially for our black, um, black men and women, that a lot of times that they're not prepared for life, they're not prepared for success. I mean, we're not prepared for life. If you and I were given 
you know, um, seven or eight figures amount overnight, it'd be hard for us to process what to do with that, let alone somebody that has been conditioned within the, in, within the American judicial system. So uh, it's a tragedy because I don't look, I just, it's a tragedy for yes to death, but also it's a tragedy, his life, what it represents um, just for the American prison system, industrial prison complex. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I, I look at it like that. And at the time he was not um, an artist of Bad Boy. I think he was uh, an artist for Duck Down Records. And one of the things I, I, I'll say, I'm not capping for um, P. Diddy because I have my own opinions about him and what he represents. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of artists, uh, especially um, black artists, hip hop artists do not uh, seemingly have they don't have retirement plans. You always hear people say this. There's no retirement plan for hip hop artists. It's just, it is what it is. And, you know, he had a hit record 20 plus years, almost 20 years ago. And that was it. But again, again, he's been in and out of prison since that time. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's my opinion on that. You know, rest in peace. I hope he's, you know, he's, he's uh, in a better place. One would hope. But um, again, I just, it's a tragedy on a number of different levels. Yeah. Well, sister, I know you and I, we, we've, we've talked about this before, and, and especially as it relates to some of the artists who we grew up with from Louisiana and their family situation. Um, you know, it reminds me, as you talked about the um, just in and out of the incarceration, remind me of our conversation we had about C-Murder and uh, Master P and, and, and that, and just even recently, um, I guess, um, Unsung has mystical featured on Unsung, and there's some people have some real strong feelings about that. Mm. Um, but really, anybody that's in in that industry, is there a retirement plan? No, actually, it's funny you say that. <laughs> P actually brings that up. He says there's no, you know, it's unfortunate, but there's no retirement plan. He actually wants to. I mean, not just hip hop. I mean, rock and roll artists. I mean, we, we could go through that whole music industry and what it what we have seen and observed and witnessed for many, many decades now, what it does. And then it, when we add on what it does specifically to black artists, I mean, it, it, it's it's been a, a, a life suck in many situations. Yeah. Well, well, first, I, I would say, yes, RIP to Black Rob. And, um, you know, I guess my challenge in the situation um, with uh, Kamara providing the additional uh, background is, you know, I know you said he may not have been on, under Diddy when Woe came out, but, you know, I am challenged with people like Diddy because. And, and the Barry Guardians of the world, because we know the challenges that we face. We know that our challenges in all industries, but we're specifically speaking of the music industry, is different. So I often wonder why do these gentlemen who, you know, rise to this level of I mean, not just gentlemen, I guess, you know, one could argue the point about Pebbles and how she treated uh, TLC. What, why why do we, when we rise to this, this certain point, why are we continuing to perpetuate that cycle of, uh, of oppression and perpetuating the cycle of, um, you know, just leech, like, just leeching off of people in a way that's just, 
I don't understand that part because to to your point, they're rock stars, hip hop artists, what have you. They don't have retirement plans, but why? Because this music industry has been messing over music artists forever mm. for a very long time. And so in doing so by now, it seems that we should have, we should be doing things differently. And again, we know that the larger system isn't going to do it. So why, why do we continue to do that same stuff? Do Why do we do that to each other? That's, that's the problem that I have. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a fair statement because, yeah. you know, um, you know, you, you with Huff knowing where his artists come from, you would think that it would be some more uh, consciousness in trying to set them up. But at the end of the day, Puff's a, Puff or P. Diddy's a capitalist. And you can't really uh, uh, expect capitalists to um, not be exploitative in one fashion or the other. And even you mentioned Pebbles. I mean, again, that's someone who's a capitalist. You know, they're not in the business they're in the music, but they're in the business. And that's sometimes people forget those things. It's the music business, not just music, you know, not the music industry, it's the music business. And so they're in the business of making money off the music. And so they're not going to create, you know, contracts that are going to take away from their bottom line. Like, I mean, if there's something to be said that um, most of Diddy's former artists are either dead or broke. And, and he's, he's, you know, he's, thriving and you know and surviving and doing I'm just not and selling, liquor. And selling liquor. yeah well, I think that's a I think that's well okay this is my challenge and you know uh I see Tita in the comments Demetria and I we are in this you know we do this Sunday school uh every Sunday obviously and and part of the conversation that we have here is about you know, what is our responsibility if you profess to be a Christian, for example, what is your responsibility versus the responsibility of others? How much are you supposed to be accountable? You know, uh, in, in, in the words of, uh, you know, New Jack City, am I my brother's keeper? And if the, if the answer is yes, then why are, why, why do we do again? Why do we perpetuate that? I understand being a capitalist, but I also believe, and, and again, I, I could be, just being uh, naive here, but typically those who are the most successful are those who are not trying to uh, hurt, harm, and and take from other people. They give back. They do something. I mean, we know with laws and things like that, there's always, I mean, people play the tax game and do all of those things, but to, to deliberately set up a contract in a way that you know is going to create grave danger to people or harm them in the long run. I don't know that for me. And again, I could be being very naive, but I just find that you usually do better when you're not one of those people that's trying to exploit other folks. Well, I mean, the contract is pretty much a standard industry contract, right? He's not making one that's specialized for him. And so most of the contracts, especially your first contract, the music is going to be heavily favored towards the, um, the record company. And as, as somebody who has who does contract law, I can tell you that if my client came to me, I'm not going to make a contract that's I'm not heavily in favor of my co client. They're going to make it in favor of. You're not going to try to make it e um, equal. You're going to make it 
um, heavily favored of your client. And it's up to the opposing counsel, you know, lack of a better term, uh, to create um, a more you know, unifying equal contract. And a lot of times these artists don't have access to counsel to give them that proper guidance. And so, yes, they're going to sign the first thing that is in front of them that, you know, is, is exploitative in, in a large number of accounts. And then it's not until they have some more, you know, burn under the industry and they say, okay, that's not the best way for me to operate. They're, they're usually their second or third deals are a lot better, but um, sometimes people don't make it past their first contract or the first deal because they, how, how hard is it to have musical relevancy outside of a hit single? It's very, very hard. So um, that's probably, that's really what it, where is that with that? Yeah, we got a few comments here. One says, it's the same reason that a small amount of former slaves owned other slaves money. It's all the same. Another comment here said they should be directed to financial counseling, financial literacy. Most people now do not have retirement plans. Yeah, regardless of industry, right? right? Um, and the folks, artists are naive, so they don't know they should probably have someone else review. Um, that's just they just excited to get produced. Yeah. So I'm gonna say this, right? So I'm gonna turn this back onto your the people who are listening and commenting. Number one, how many of them have signed a contract without looking at it? And I guarantee you all of you guys have. Oh, we have when we got our cell phones, cell phones all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to get something. And so that's a natural human thing, right? I can tell you like how many times people have signed employment contracts and then they come to me three years later. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's I'm getting uh, um, fired and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, let me see your employment contract. Yeah, I have a contract right here. And then they send it to me and it's not a contract. It's a offer letter. And then they, it's very one-dimensional and I'm like, well, who told you to sign this? I just signed it because I was so happy to get the job, right? I was so happy to get the job. I didn't take something that I'm signing that I'm literally, it's my legal signature that could be used against me to an attorney. But what, did, what do you get from this? And so, yes, it's very easy to go, go at the artist and say, oh, they, you know, why haven't, why didn't they do that or so forth and so on. I know you guys are not blaming them, but I want you guys to take, use the human, human function of the way people think about things. And even to the point of retirement, I can guarantee you a large section of the people who are listening to don't have an estate plan. They, they don't have it. They don't have it. Their retirement. They all they know about the retirement is their 401k and blah, blah, blah. But they're not, they haven't really sat down and tried to figure out what their, ne their next 20, 30 years can look like. And so, and these are, you, I'm, I'm assuming a majority of these people in here are not in their early 20s or 19 or 18 or 17. You know, there are people who have matured through life and yet still, they don't think about things for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So how can you expect somebody who's a 18, 19, 20 plus year old artist with no formal education generally or no really financial background to make the same conscious thoughts? And then someone on Diddy's end, right, who's going to look at these artists and be like, well, why do I have to create something for you? You know, because that's not my job. My job is to get you a contract and to, for me to make money off you. My job is not to necessarily you know, make you set you up for the rest of your life. That's your job. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the reality of the situation. And that's what happens when we operate in a capitalistic society that, you know, it's very, it's exploitative in the very function of how we consume things and, and, and interpret things. I know I just went off on a tangent, but I'm sorry. 
We take tangents over here. That's all right. Well, you all are tuned in live to Hey Sister. We thank you for getting involved in the comments. We want you to keep getting involved in the comments. Um, and we're going to switch topics. We're going to go to a whole nother place here because, like I said, we're going to bounce all over the world. I could drill into this music industry a little bit more, but I'm, I'm going to save that for another day um, because, you know, we um, here we go again. Mass shootings are back. You know, one of the um, one of the benefits of the pandemic's shutdown and the, the quarantine was people was in their house and we had fewer of these incidents. Now, they still were happening. They were not the primary focus on the news. But we have had as many mass shootings as we've had days in this calendar year already even with one this morning in Austin, Texas. Um, I don't know, sister, I'm gonna toss it to you first. Um, you know, the Isaac brothers said it, here we go again. And it, it ain't the same kind of here we go again, but it's round and round, back and forth, here we go. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to, to put it just bluntly, I said this a long time ago and I, continue to say it. Um, after Sandy Hook, we did absolutely nothing. And if those who are largely in power um, and have the ability to change laws, make laws and, and what have you, if they saw mostly white kindergartners get killed uh, and nothing happened, the rest of us don't stand a chance. I don't, I don't see a whole lot changing. Um, and, and, and listen, I don't know. I understand the NRA is powerful, but my gosh, I just, I'm like, damn, <laughs> because again, you know, we're talking about from our perspective, very often we're talking about changes to, to the policing in America. And we're talking about police reform, but like I said, if, if you see little white kids in Connecticut get killed and there's no there are no changes to our gun laws, then I don't have a whole lot of hope for changes to police reform or other things like that. And that's unfortunate. And I I hate that when we hear about these things, um, we're almost becoming sensitized to them. I mean, as a black person, I think we often are just like, Lord, please don't let it be a black person. And then you know, after that, I mean, I, I don't know. It just feels very repetitive, like you said, but I don't see any major changes happening. And I really, I don't honestly don't know why. I don't know what our, um, you know, I, I think, uh, Kamar, you had, you, you had something about fear on your page um, and, and you talked about fear and I, you know, it is hard for me to comprehend this irrational fear that people have um, because just historically, the things that they are afraid of have not played out. So I don't understand why we have such fear and we have to go buy so many guns to keep ourselves protected from this boogeyman that never has manifested itself. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. So the conversation, the conversation surrounding shootings, right? And mm -hmm. you know, the statement you've made is, 
listen, once once we've kind of shrugged off mass shooting within the elementary school and nobody did anything, I think all bets are off at this point. I, I honestly I I think people are it's gonna take something a lot more visceral than just shooting uh, elementary school. It's weird. Wow. I'm gonna well, tell I, 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 can, I, can we pause right there? I mean yeah. alone is like you said something more visceral. And so I'm thinking about in my lifetime, granted, that is a shooting, but even you know, we've 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 had the World Trade Center, we've what had that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it's gonna take something to the to the effect of that strikes at white consciousness, you know, that makes them say, wait, whoa, that's not, you know, that's not a, a um like, like, I mean, I mean, having the babies killed didn't strike no, that's, that's not it. That's not. And I, I'm so okay. Oklahoma this is, City. Oh, no, this is where this is where I'm telling the insidious nature of like how people, white people, think of things. Like, think about, think about, think about. <laughs> we all, we over here like struggling. We're like, oh lord. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, like seriously, it's think about politically and it, um, education, right? We've they've they've created a moniker of education the last 20, 30 years that is, you know, this liberal thing and you know the idea of education, even if it no matter what age, it's not considered it's it's really not really considered a, a um an ideology that some half the country believes it should be everybody believes in proper education, right? But certain people believe in like, oh well, if you don't come from a certain environment, so we kind of bastardize the idea of education. So that's kind of the thing, right? So it's like, if you can bastardize or you can limit the idea of education in this country that you don't think people, should, everybody should get fair education or you don't think that equality in education is, is a, should be a mandate, then you've already taught in your mind, you've already taken education as a, as a topic that is not something that is sacred. And then you take it with the fact of children in that and in guns, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I can, I've already bastardized the idea of education and yes, it's terrible that kids get shot, but you know, it's not a holy grail. Let me tell you what's going to be the holy grail. Please. The, Please. Holy, the holy grail in, in white America is that it's going to be, and I'm not, I don't want to, I don't even like to, because my wife and I talk about that. We don't like to speak things in existence, but it's going to have to be something involved with the government or the military. And those are the two things, like Americana, real Americana things, where people are going to be like, okay, we need to change. Like we, something that's going to change the way that like they're they're going to look at it, and that's really the the ultimate going to be the ultimate statement where people are going to be like, okay, enough's enough, you know. And that's kind of where I'm I'm at with it. Like it's going to have to be something that's going to tear into the fabric of Americana, not education, because education and yes, babies are important. But, but you, you say not, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you say not education. You said something related to the military, but haven't we seen proof where the military really isn't, I mean, people talk to how patriotic they are, how much they care for our veterans, how much they care about our military, but haven't we seen proof that that too isn't? No, but you, you know what happened with 9-11? With it was the buildings, but it was also the fact that they tried to slam into the Pentagon and they, they were aiming for the White House. Like It was something where they were aiming at the fabric of Americana and it was like an insult, right? So when you're talking, when I think it's going to have to happen is 
it's going to have to be something that's going to rock the core of people on one particular side of the issue. They'd be like, yeah, okay, that's enough. Enough's enough. Yeah, like, but, but wait, hold on now. Now, listen. Now, they, they carried their behinds down there with guns and bear, bear spray and, and zip ties and, and a noose to hang Mike Pence. That didn't tear at their fabric. Right. I mean, come they, on they now. Like, no, because they felt like the election was stolen. Oh Jesus! So that was—that's another. That's not. That's again. They can compartmentalize things. That's exactly what I'm talking about. They can compartmentalize the idea. It has to be something that is hard for them to compartmentalize. In that, they can't compartmentalize um, Americana. Like they, it's hard for them to do that. Like when you tear into the. These, the the fabric of that it, it forces them to like wait a minute all right this is not cool you know when honestly I mean I know we're this is probably something we're going to address later on with the, keep going with the George the George Floyd thing right and I know this like what are you talking what am I getting with this but one of the things I found interesting about George Floyd and why everybody reacted the way they did across social balance because it would they put them in a box to where they couldn't explain it away they had it was right there for it for eight minutes, now they say it was nine minutes and 30 seconds, really, right? So it they put them in a box to where they, you couldn't look away and be like, oh, well, you know. But they are explaining it away. Now it's, it's the drugs in the system. Now it's the exhaust from but the- that, But that's, that is the, that was, you know, that's the defense attorney trying to create reasonable doubt. I'm talking about the reaction across the board from, for the majority of people, when they saw it, they were like, you can't explain it away. And that's what it's gonna have to take something so egregious in nature that is so blatant that it's going to be hard for them to explain it away to when they're like, okay, I have to acquiesce. This is kind of, this is nonsense. And I don't know. I don't we know. We got some comments here that I got to show up on the screen. Cause see, one of them is where I was going to, thank you for dropping that in there, Robin Payne. I'm going to get to yours in a second. But um, so um, I thought the concert in Vegas would do something that was intense. Uh, <laughs> agree. I think it's going to be in the military. Um, we talked about the riot. Denise said, when is enough enough for these people? And why do we keep catering to the crazy? But Rob put the point out there. They had a mass shooting at Fort Hood. In, in 1968 they changed the gun laws because the Black Panthers went to the Capitol and they were, you know, they were just normal Americans you having guns, right? Walking, yeah, walking around with their guns. Right, open, and so they changed it. It's going to have, it's, as sad as going to say, it's going to probably have to take Black people shooting up the Capitol or something, something crazy to where white people be like, whoa, we can't have that. Like, they are... Like it's gonna be something to where it really, and I'm not I, black. That's not in us. That's not our. That's not what we do. Right. But that's really what it's gonna take for white people to be like, ah, I can't, I, I can't. We can't have this. We gotta change these gun laws because they're getting way too crazy with it. But the gun laws would only change for us again. <laughs> it, it, laws will only change when they feel like they're being attacked, you know. And white people don't feel like they're attacked right now because they look the gunman looks like them when they feel like they're attacked by something that doesn't look like them is something foreign. This is why 9-11 bothered them because 
it attacked on home soil. It didn't look like these people. Like terrorism, it doesn't terrorism doesn't shake people, doesn't shake white people. That doesn't but terrorism shakes them to the core when it feels like they're being it's coming on their front porch and it could be attacked. And therefore, it's gonna take something to where somebody looks like me running up in, you know, the Capitol and shooting somebody. You know, and it's but gonna did it because the other day the young man just drove up there and killed the police officer and he was black and they I, kept going on with their day. That's not I'm talking about like I'm talking about mass, like it's gonna be something it has gotta to be a lot of bloodshed. That's be how we respond to in this country. Okay, that's what that's all we're gonna that's how we respond. We respond we respond to, to I ain't gonna say we. I ain't I ain't owning none of that. That's how they respond. I got some. Well, no, but I think it's, it it it'll it'll segue into what we were talking about about uh, Miss Greenfield Thomas because that her that comment that she made. I mean, apparently having blood on your hands is what it takes, or having a whole lot of blood on your hands. Should I say? Oh, the egregiousness would have. To be loss of money, nothing else seems to matter. That's the attack true. and the attack would then be on blacks, not on guns. That's what Nancy is saying. Uh, we got a comment here. We voted in Georgia. Laws change, no water. Um, when we move just like that, okay, let's see. Yes, we need to hit them in the pocket. Coordinated event to affect their bottom line. Hardcore, yeah, because honey, they nearly lost their mind with um GameStop. That's that might be the move. Um, the manufactured war on terror generates more money. And you have to remember the D.C. sniper shooting in 2002. That pretty much shut D.C. shut down D.C. and Virginia. Yeah. And then when we found out he was black, he was like, oh. But again, that shut down. It was it. But it was a shock to the conscience. Right. Because that's. Yeah. What, so I'm telling you it. But I do agree. It's it's going to have to be required something to where. Yeah, okay, let's, if it's not the military, something financial, but something that is going to shape their country. And I want to put, put this out there because I know this. We're not advocating for this. I am not advocating for yeah, this. Not not I am a pacifist in every single fun function of the word, all right? I'm a pacifist that owns guns, but I'm a pacifist nonetheless, right? And um, I don't, I, I abhor violence. I don't believe in death. I don't even believe in a death penalty. Um, and so, uh, you know, but I just think the way, white supremacy works and people are so sick and they can compartmentalize hate and anger and anything, bigotry, you know, whatnot, they can be, they can remove themselves from a situation, but it has to be something that's so egregious and so upfront in their face that they can't move away from it. And that's kind of what I think is going to have to happen. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, that was deep right there. Y'all took me there, but see really what it is, Oh, anyway, you talked about the boogeyman. All that is projection, but that's a whole nother thing because the person who they're really afraid of is themselves. Okay, let me go to the next topic. Um, so since you brought her up, Marjorie and them with this America First Caucus. Marjorie. Yeah. Listen, the people in outside in the Rome, Georgia area, they voted for this. They believe in this. They co-sign and condone this all the way. So I'm not surprised because I've had to go to Rome, Georgia a time or two when I was working in the pharmaceutical industry and I had a rep up there. So none of this surprises me in the least. But the um, 
they said they were going to have this America First caucus, but then now they're already backpedaling because once their document got out there with their ideas, um, even a fellow Republicans had to say, uh, no. You're too loud. So, that's really what it was. That's what they said. You're too loud. That's what, that's it right there. The quiet part out loud. And we don't like that. Um, really what that, first of all, anybody who's been to Georgia and I'm sure outside of like two cities, right. In Georgia, Georgia is red neck, like outside of like two cities, right. Atlanta. And, um, I would even say Savannah and even Savannah or Augusta. Augusta is pretty well, it's pretty black, but even that kind of, you know, Not so much. it's more like the plantation is kind of black. Like, you know, it has that history. It ain't right. But <laughs> Georgia is so red. So when you see somebody like majority, she, I mean, you mean like South, you mean like North, I mean, like Florida where we are. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. Florida outside of like, Six cities, you know, Florida is pretty, you know, it's pretty redneck. And um, so somebody like Mar Mar Marjorie, when she comes out out of Georgia, it doesn't surprise me because she pretty much represents the state in its entirety. What really pissed off people about Georgia is that, you know, obviously since Jimmy Carter, that state has gone ever since after Jimmy Carter, that state had went red and then Biden pulled the wool over her eyes. But anybody who was working in politics for the last year or so can see the actually two years could see what was getting ready to happen. And I actually would tell people, I prognosticate, I said, we're, Democrats are going to lose Florida and they're going to win Georgia. And people looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, no, I'm telling you I, what, what has happened in that state, the demographics have changed in, su in such a place that it, one city or one populace is getting, is going to carry that state because and again, in Georgia, everything is so sparsed out, Right. And it's not a concentrated, uh, it's not a concentrated uh, voting base there. And so um, that's what really shook. Again, we talk about this, right? What's going to have to change when white people make a change in something legislation is because it shocks their conscience. Georgia shocked their conscience to the point where they put out to this count 237 across the, across the country voting laws, you know, voting protection laws, quote unquote, because they were like, we can't have that happen, right? right. That that we can't be having people, you know, uh, come and and take a steal election from us, um, because they saw that when black people, because they showed up, because right. we showed up, that was that's how we stole it, because we showed we stole up. It. And so again, that goes into the, the subconscious. Like when you shock their conscience about something, that's what makes them get all freaked out and start. We got to they start fumbling and stumbling. We we got to do something. But as far as the America First Caucus. Uh, that was something where, again, I said she said the loud, she said the quiet part out loud, and then a lot of Republicans, whoa, whoa, whoa! I know we might have said that privately, but you can't be putting that on paper. That's not what we are about. Like we can't be alienating people because they already suffer from an image of being a backwards party, and Republicans like to operate in a sense where they like to toe the line of white supremacy, but they, but then they don't want to go over that line, you know. And and it could be said about Democrats as well. Democrats they don't like to. Um, some Democrats uh, like to parrot, you know, equality, but their actions, you know, don't match their, 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 their actions don't match the words. But that's another topic for the day. But um, for Marjorie, she what she did is she said something that she shouldn't put on paper. 
and people are like, we can't be having that. Take that down. That's not the way we operate. And it wasn't just Marjorie. She was one of the the, the ringleaders. She had a couple other co-signers on there. Nisi said the country is pretty redneck. That's how we ended up with Trump. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Felicia said it was Georgia's season. They shocked the nation. And I'm glad this weapon will not prosper. Well, you know. No, I, I, I actually agree with Felicia. I, if, if we stay on top of our game. And when, when I say we, I am not talking about a particular party or anything like that, but I'm just saying if we're talking about black folks. If we stay on top of our game and continue to mobilize and galvanize, we will continue to shock their system because just like it happened in Georgia, it happened here in Arizona. We only 5% of the population. So, but, but it was not just, of course, just, black people who had to show and prove had to not just talk about it but be about it but yeah if we continue to do that you know i mean this is what they're forcing us to do right you're going to continue to come up with the most ridiculous laws possible and so we're going to have to stay on top of our game we're going to have to show up and show up early to vote. We're going to have to be prepared to stand in lines and not be um, no wasted. No waste right. We're going to have to, you know, go pick up our our family members, friends who don't have transportation or who live way out far from their their polling place. We're going to have to do everything and bring your purse with your snacks. Go ahead. Right. 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 Have a have a few little snacks, Pat. But yeah, we're definitely gonna have to do those things. I think I don't actually I mean I think Marjorie, she gets on my nerves, right? Okay, she gets on my nerves. But I mean most white supremacists get on my nerves, right? But what I will say is I mean, at least you're open with it. I can deal with you being open. I mean, I've been saying this like even at work. I'm like, I can deal with people who just like, I don't mess with you because I did grow up in the South, right? And we understand, I understand you, you understand me, cool. Like don't try to shoot me for just being black. But if you just don't like me and you want to use the yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, do, exactly, do your thing, what have you. Where what's more egregious to me is now you're saying how they're like, whoa, Nelly, now you're telling the secrets. Don't do that. And it's like, those are the people that I have problems with. Well, let me give you even another case. So John Boehner is on his book tour right now. So John Boehner is on his book tour and he's had all these things to say that, you know, he's free now. So he wants to say all these things. But again, when they asked him who he voted for, he still voted for Donald Trump. Oh, right. right. Because because of policies. No, that ain't no policies, dude. Stop deluding yeah. yourself. It's white supremacy. Yeah, yeah it's racism, it's hate. He said, he said that uh what's his name? Ted Cruz was Lucifer in the flesh. <laughs> but you still support the folk? Like, come on, man, stop it. That just goes to show you that how far white supremacy will go to protect. It's protectionism in its very sense, right? So they will vote for something, even though they know it's wicked and it doesn't make any sense. But because, you know, it's, it's the, it's, 
embedded within how they see the system in the world. They'd be like, I'm going to vote for it because, yeah, I know it's bad. But at the same time, I know my duty is to protect it. And that's how, you know, it, when he said that statement, like, oh, I voted for Trump, even though I know it's terrible. Like, it's it's terrible, right? But but it, that actually that goes into humanism. I mean, think about how in our own lives and families, we know somebody's terrible, but we protect their secrets. And like, why do we do that? Oh, because, you know, it's, you know, Uncle So-and-so is crazy. You know, but he's like, no, he's, he's actually a molester. You know what I mean? But no, but we protect, it's, it's hu- the human ideal of protecting, protecting is, is not unique within white supremacy. But in this political lens, how they're looking at, how he looks at the world, yeah, it makes sense because he knew Trump was dangerous. But at the same time, he was like, but I know my duty and my duty is to cast a vote for him. You know, and kudos to him for being honest about it, right? Because he could be like, oh, I didn't vote in that election. When a lot of people said that, I didn't. I, I know a couple people. I wrote, I wrote in Abraham Lincoln. And yeah, <laughs> I didn't vote or whatnot. I'm like, you voted oh. for John McCain, even though he's dead. Right, right. And so I kudos to him for being upfront about it. But also, again, he just said the quiet part out loud. I already knew. Like, he wouldn't have to tell me that you voted for Trump for me to be like, yeah, you voted for Trump. I know. Right. I could tell the way you move that you voted for Trump. Right. And so um, John Boehner is an interesting case because. Again, like you mentioned, he has, he was the you know was a um, congressional leader, party leader, and he had he didn't have a lot to say when he was um, the party leader. Actually, the party fell apart under him because he allowed it, you know the separate nature of the of the Tea Party crop up and whatnot, and now it became the, this loud booming voice in the, in the party. They're no longer called the Tea Party; it's called the majority voice now. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, he mentioned something about I know he made a comment yesterday or today about um, gun violence. And and I'm like, well, dude, like Sandy Hook was actually under your watch. Like you could have brought forth legislation. And in your point, you said something to the point where oh, I was waiting for the Senate to pass a bill and then I would have taken something from the congressional side. But I'm like, so your idea of leadership was waiting for some, the other branch of the legislative body to make something so then you can create an idea. That's That's what you're writing. That's the horse you're going to ride on regards to this. And again, it's it's oddly unique that he wants to go ahead and stick his beak in gun violence, but acting like he didn't have an authority in how to actually do something about it. Right. right? As Speaker of the House for five years. Yeah. Right. And so I, I, I paired that by saying he wants to talk about how crazy Trump is. He wants to talk about how crazy Republicans are. But you actually had something to do with that because you not only allowed... The wolf into the into the house, you know, figuratively, literally, but also you voted for the wolf, you know, when it was your time that when you really had no no case state in the game anymore. You were not in you were not even leadership, you know, and you didn't have to vote for him. And yet you still decided to do that. So yeah, so those are the types to me that are even more dangerous. You know, the Marjorie is crazy Marjorie and she's going to be crazy Marjorie. Uh, Matt, we know Matt Gates is losing his all his mind. Uh, and I mean, I guess I would be if folks were just accusing me left and right of, you know, well, you he brought it on himself because didn't nobody tell him to just be pro- proactive in doing <laughs> interviews or whatever. But those type, we, we see them. So it's like I see you, but it's the it's it's the John Boehner's now of the world that it's like really 
So you all have so or or what's what's the other fella? Glass. Well, they, they, all they all retiring right now, but yeah. you know, like uh, what was his name? Ryan, the other one, not Tim Ryan. What's the other one? Uh, Ryan. Uh, all right. So Paul Ryan, like Paul Ryan, yeah, like those, 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 like you said, they, their complicity, we see it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Their complicity, we see it. All right, we had a couple more topics, um, but since we on, uh, we on this white supremacy thing, we might as well ride this train out. Um, <laughs> this week, uh, UN Ambassador Linda Thomas Greenfield. You know, made an address to um, uh, I can't remember what audience. I'm gonna drop the link in there. But basically, the the right wanted to come for her, uh, and I don't even like the terms the right and all this stuff. But anyway, they um, always wrong <laughs> <laughs> that part. But you know, in in the news, I think it was someone from Newsmax who Newsmax who was pressed pressuring Jen Psaki about, well, she should be relieved and what is Joe Biden going to do about her? Because she made this statement uh, before an assembly and said that the, um, how white supremacy is rooted in our founding documents. And I'll drop the article. Y'all can go and, and watch the link because she's obviously did the Sunday morning shows this way. But Linda Thomas Greenfield is a UN, the United Nations ambassador. She is a black woman from Vacherie, Louisiana. And I'm just going to say that right there. And as she said, she went to segregated schools. So you know, we have this burden of having this honesty about who we are as a nation while others have this mythology about who we are as a nation. And, you know, you talked about at the top when you're describing yourself as the black aristocrat, how we have to live in both of these worlds. You know, she's a woman who's had to live in both of this world. Um, and for them to even attempt to come for her for being honest about who we are, because one of the things we always have to do well is be honest about who we are so we can help transform and move this nation forward. So kudos on you, sister, for saying what needed to be said. Kudos on Jen Psaki from sh for shutting it down in the press room and, um, you know, and, and for and whatever they want to say about Sleepy Joe, kudos on you for appointing so many diverse um, cabinet members. So that's my, my take on that. Y'all want to talk about what Linda said? Because y'all, we, we listened to what Linda said at the top as we were preparing. What y'all think? Well, I, I said, well, let me correct. I said earlier, Greenfield, Thomas, Thomas Greenfield. So sorry um, that I got the names wrong. Listen, um, I have more of a challenge with the fact that she actually was trying to do the right thing, I guess, and 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 give props to America for how far we've come and how we've grown. And that, you know, the fact that she's been able to rise from going to segregated schools to um being in this uh, a UN ambassador and being in this position. I all I mean yes, all of those things are true, but I'm just tired of us having to give props where it's not due at this point. What she said was correct. 
slavery is our original sin in this country and it was codified in our documents in our and 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 even after slavery was uh, abolished if you will there was there's still you know remnants of that those same beliefs in our constitution and so i don't understand why then we have to say but we've come so far i mean i don't know i'm all often challenged obviously we are not enslaved in the way that we were before but you know obviously we have the prison industrial complex that is a new form of enslavement that is primarily impacting black Americans. So I don't know why we have to keep, after we criticize America, have to then pat America on the back. No, America has failed a lot of its citizens. And, you know, this idea that we're just supposed to pretend things didn't happen, pretend that you know, we went from slavery all the way to Jim Crow and all, you know, segregate, like we've said since the Civil Rights Act, it's only been what, 57 years. So to pretend that we've got it, we got it right. This is the best nation on earth. You dare not criticize it. I mean, I just have a problem with that belief system. If we didn't criticize it, that would probably mean we didn't care. And yes, we actually care. We actually care, again, that this country lives up to its principles, the things that it said it was going to be, the things that, you know, the quote unquote founding fathers suggested that this country was really going to be. They use the words. And of course, those words were intended to mean one thing at that time. We're just trying to push this country to actually live up to the real definition of those words, yeah. equality, justice, liberty for all, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all those words that they came up with. We're just saying, use the fullness of those definitions for everyone. Yeah. Um, I just want to add that the problem, one of the problems with American idealism is that it's not, truthful with itself, right? And so Germany, when they took the step forward in trying to be um, a better socially conscious nation is when they accepted their history of Nazi Germany and to the point where they outlawed symbols uh, of that particular era. And But they still teach it. It's very much prevalent. They don't they don't skirt around it. They're very honest about it. And I think it's made it, made it better for them um, America's never really had an honest conversation regarding its founding nation. I think that we've talked about it, but they don't, they don't acknowledge that it's inherent within the fabric of this country and how we operate. And when we do, people like say, well, I'm not racist. And it's like, well, nobody said you're racist, but you do benefit from a racist society. Right. So, you you know, and so, but that's hard for people to con construct. Like, how can I benefit from racist society? I didn't grow up rich. Well, you don't have to grow up rich from, to develop an idea or to benefit from that supremacy. It's like, I'm not a sexist, but I can honestly agree that I, I have gained from patriarchy, right? And so I don't have to be something to benefit, to gain from it, you know? And so 
there's an idea that we don't have these honest conversations with ourselves. And I agree with you. I don't like that she tried to walk it back, but she also is trying to keep her job. So, I mean, you know, there's that as well. Um, it's easy to come from this side of the fence where I can say, oh, you should have just black power, black powered it up, black fist, you know, don't, don't relent. But I don't have the, I, she probably got a call from Biden, you know, to like, hey, I need you to clean that up because I'm right. getting pressure and I, I can't protect you. Well, I mean, she got criticism as well because, she, uh, as Demetria said, she's from Vashville, Louisiana, and she attended LSU. And she mentioned that her experience at LSU wasn't the best. She had issues, issues of racism. People treated her poorly. And you had all these folks at LSU acting like, like they how don't dare you. Yeah, how dare you? Because this is the flagship university of the state of Louisiana. And how, we we have never had these. And it's like, you all pick, choose to select certain periods in time, I guess when Shaquille O'Neal was there and, you know, certain periods of time to, to suggest that racism wasn't woven into the fabric of the founding of that university. I mean, it's like, it, it as what Nisi said, America is redneck. Right. And so these are not, none of this is a surprise. What's surprising to me is how much mind trickery must you do to continue to perpetuate these lies and, I mean, like delusion. That's that's what's a shock. I'm like, wow, well, that, that seems like it should be exhausting, but I guess not. Right. Well, it's funny what you say because, um, and I didn't even bring this up as a topic for tonight, but we could have definitely gone there with Sharon Osbourne appearing on Bill Maher's show. I didn't even, I didn't even watch it because I was like, you know what, Bill, I, I, I'm not, I can't, I can't even do it right now. I can't do Sharon right now. I'm not doing it. Um, but just reading some of the commentary about it, you know, we always hear, well, I don't want to be called a racist. I don't want to be associated with that because they have a negative view of certain people. So we've been using that moniker, redneck, what have you, but they have a they have a delusion that those that it's those people who are beneath them, but they're better than that. So I don't want to be associated with that. Well, I don't want to be 10 pounds overweight, but I am, mm -hmm. right? So there are some things that you don't want, but that you are or that you benefit from. And we have to be honest about it. And I and I think that is why her comments, why people came out against her comments the way they did is because it's a mirror. And some folks just don't want to look in the mirror. Same thing when you talked about this fear, these irrational fears. The irrational fear about who's going to attack you and who's going to harm you is because you've done so much damage, destruction and harm. So you don't want to look in the mirror because then you like you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror. And I just think that that at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to, that what she said, she held up a mirror. And like me, I held up the mirror. I don't want this, but I still can love and accept myself. And that's what she ultimately was saying. Look, we can still love and accept this who we are, but we got to be honest about it at the same time. Right. So anyway, well, y'all, we have already talked an hour <laughs> and I we have more topics to get to. But the hour went by really, really fast. We want to thank you all for tuning in tonight to Hey Sister. We thank our special guest. Any words you want to say in closing, um, Mr. Black Aristocat? So make sure you check out his Uncultured 
uh, Uncultured Bias podcast. You can find it at his site, kamarawilliams.com. You can also read some of his blog posts if you don't already follow him on Facebook. He probably can't have no more Facebook followers because he probably already maxed out at the number there. But you can definitely, you can get some of those good reads on his website. Anything you want to say in closing tonight? I know we've been around the world um, in our topics, but anything you want to leave the people with? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you for having me on your program. I really did enjoy it. This was um, fantastic. And, you know, I enjoyed not only the conversation, but the commentary from people, um, you know, who were giving great statements or questions or whatnot. So this is fantastic. I would love to come back on, you know, if you would have me. Um, thank you. Oh, yeah. And again, yes, Uncultured Bias podcast. We do have, um, we are on Spotify and on um, Apple, so you can find that. Or you can just go on my website, kamarawings.com, and check that out as well. So. Yeah, right. Well, thank you so much. Sister, anything you want to say in closing tonight? I am. I'm going to say uh, thank you, Mr. Kamara. This was great. I've enjoyed the commentary. You bring a very fabulous. Oh, I'm about to say, you about to put Teddy Pendergrass on? <laughs> my, phone goes, my phone turned on, and it's the first thing. <laughs> no worries, no worries. No, you you bring a, a great perspective. So definitely look forward to having you on again, um, sister. I know we we're gonna we, we're gonna always shout out. You know your Spring into Leadership conference coming up. So springintoleadership.com. Um, for those if you haven't already registered, please do so. I keep saying it. Just invest in yourself. Why wouldn't you do that? And last but not least, I'm gonna shout out. Uh, since we dropped it on Monday, TibetoVilleFilm.com. It is a documentary that I am working on on the 1887 sugarcane labor strike and what resulted in the Thibodeau massacre. So you can go to our website, www.TibetoVilleFilm.com. That's Thibodeauville with an E. Yes. So paying homage to the original old school name of our city. So, yes. Thank you. Yeah, so as you can see, folks, all of us, we got a lot going on. And um, so we 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 definitely appreciate your support. We appreciate you tuning in tonight to Hey Sister. We'll definitely be checking out each other's programming and supporting one another. And we thank you for supporting us. So we'll see you back here on next Sunday. Uh, Kamara, Christina, y'all hold the line and wave goodbye to the people. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.